Welcome to Hispanic Marketing 101, presented by Latino 24-7 Media Group, providing media, marketing, and research insights. It is now my pleasure to turn the program over to Henry R. Munoz III, Somo co-founder. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to begin by thanking you for joining this webinar, which we believe is incredibly important in this moment in our country's history. On behalf of my colleague and my partner, Dr. Ramon Ayaj, I want to thank you for dialing in. Uh, I am a person who has spent his entire life as an activist involved in the very important issues of institutional change, of justice and equality that have existed for decades and generations in our country. Uh, the pandemic of COVID-19 is a magnifier of all of those issues. Sitting on the front lines of, of this virus as a person who's involved in healthcare in New York City, in conversations with my partner, Dr. Ramon Tayaj, we decided that this was once again a moment when we couldn't wait for people to be our saviors, that we had to take solutions into our own hands. One of the most important parts of creating a solution is to understand where your community is, how they view an intersection of issues, like the intersection of issues that are presented by the coronavirus. What are the impacts on the community that maybe not just deal with the crisis, but that deal with the issues beyond the economy, with um, education, and that have the ability to begin to help us understand ourselves and to portray what we're going through to the rest of the country so that we have the ability to move from crisis to recovery. So we decided that, as usual, because we don't see ourselves on television, because we're not usually given an opportunity to speak for ourselves, that it was important for us at SOMOS to undertake the first national poll that would look at the impacts of COVID-19 on the Latino community of the United States. It went into the field at a time when it was just becoming evident that the largest percentage of deaths in the New York area were happening in the Latino community. So we turned to Latino Decisions, who we've worked with over the course of many years, and decided that Latino Decisions working on behalf of the frontline healthcare workers in the city of New York would be able to put into place a poll that would provide valuable experience, stories, and opportunities for other communities across the United States to prepare for what was coming to them. So I'm very proud to introduce to you this afternoon, Matt Barreto and Gary Segura, the co-founders of Latino Decisions. Matt and Gary. All right, thank you, Henry. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, this is Matt Barreto. I'm gonna start out with a little overview of the survey findings, and I'm gonna turn it over to my uh, partner at Latino Decisions, Gary Segura, who's going to give um, some perspective and put this into place. Um, as Henry mentioned, this was a survey that was fielded very recently um, during April 7th through 12th of 2020 on behalf of Somos Care, uh, Community Care. Uh, 1,200 Latinos nationally uh, were interviewed for this poll. And that's important to note because uh, many of the other survey data points that you're seeing right now have very small Latino samples, maybe 100, maybe 150. Many of those were still investigating when we asked questions. They're being done still today in English only. Uh, we offered a bilingual polling experience, and as you can see, 
of our respondents chose to take the poll in Spanish. They were allowed to take the poll through cell phone, landline with a live interviewer, or in an online self-completed mode. We know that we have a very high presence in digital in our community, and we wanted to make sure that everyone could take this survey in whatever mode they were the most comfortable with. Uh, it's the largest and most comprehensive survey of Latinos on these issues. We asked um, questions on every topic from the health, social, economic, housing, and schooling and educational impact to try to gauge how Latinos were being impacted by that. And we'll provide the full uh, results of this poll, the top lines and breakouts of this poll on our website on latinodecisions.com under recent polls. Uh, and you can also follow up with any of us afterwards. So let me start by going through uh, what are identified as the biggest health-related concerns uh, for the Latino community. At the start of the survey, like we do in all of our surveys, we ask people, what are the most important issues facing your community? Um, not surprisingly, responding to the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis was the top issue cited by 62%. If that issue wasn't being cited, we saw people saying lowering the cost of healthcare and improving wages and income um, being amongst the top issues. Certainly these are spillover effects that we're seeing uh, as well as unemployment. Uh, racism against Latinos and immigrants continued to be a top issue. This has been something that has been on our top agenda uh, pretty much for the entirety of the last three to four years. The COVID-19 crisis in Latino households is something that people are taking very seriously. 70% of Latinos say they're following the news about it very closely with another 24% saying somewhat. Everybody is paying attention to what is happening. What was striking to us out of the gates was that 22% of our sample say they know someone who is ill due to the coronavirus. That's over one out of five. In the New York, New Jersey area, it was almost half. Almost half of the Latino sample in the New York area says they have a friend or a family member who has become ill to the coronavirus. These numbers uh, are just really shocking and show us how connected Latinos are to this crisis. Not only do they know someone who has become ill, but 26% of Latinos nationally know somebody who they think is ill, wants to get tested, but haven't. I think this is something we can all relate to in the discussions and meetings we've been having with friends and family and colleagues. There are many people out there who have what they believe to be some of the symptoms are, but cannot get a test. That's the highest in the New York, New Jersey area where over a third of Latinos say they also know someone who is ill but cannot get tested. There needs to be more testing widely available. When we think about some of the um, more specific health and hospital concerns that people are seeing, 86% uh, of Latinos in our sample said that they were concerned that hospitals will not have enough supplies to meet this critical need. 66% um, say that they currently have difficulty finding necessities such as medicine, food, and supplies. We think about how so many of us are ordering online, whether it's through online delivery services, groceries, or other things, but not everybody has the luxury of being able to have that set up, whether it's due to the digital divide, technology issues, or just what's available in your community. Uh, fully two-thirds of the sample say they are having difficulty with that. 63% uh, are worried that someone in their household is going to lose their health insurance the longer this crisis goes on. Many of those worries are tied directly to worries about job loss. Over half of Latinos have had to cancel or delay a medical appointment. As we know, our current uh, health 
care delivery system is focused primarily on treating COVID-19. That leaves other appointments, which still may be important, to be canceled or delayed. Um, and at the bottom of the list, you see something that's really striking right now. 20% of Latinos in our survey say they have already lost employer-provided health insurance just within the last five to six weeks as a result of this crisis. This is primarily coming through job loss. A significant share of Latinos are at risk because they continue to work outside of the home. One of the themes that is going to develop in the unveiling of these poll results is that Latinos are losing jobs, having financial uh, pay cuts, having furloughs, but at the same time, Latinos are still in many working class, blue collar, white collar essential jobs. These are in produce, ag, healthcare, sanitation, and delivery services. 36% of Latinos say they continue to work outside of the home right now. Highest in the state of Texas, where 46% of Latinos say that they are continuing to work outside of the home. Among the people who say that they're continuing to work outside of the home, over one third reported to us that their employer is not providing adequate equipment, masks, gloves, or PPE to keep them safe and that they do not feel safe in that working environment. So while Latinos are out there as essential workers, an extremely high percentage of them are in harm's way uh, keeping this country running. On the work uh, note, let's transition and talk about some of the economic-related concerns that we found in our uh, poll. We asked people when it came to COVID-19 specifically, what is the most important thing you want policymakers, your government to do to address when it comes to COVID-19? The number one response was help with wages and income. We know that unemployment numbers are going up. We know that even people who are not unemployed are losing hours and losing work opportunities. And this was the number one uh, cited thing, even ahead of increased access to testing, which is certainly very critical. We need to find ways to get uh, more wage and income opportunities into the Latino community. We asked people, which of these has someone in your household face due to the coronavirus outbreak? 46%, <clears throat> excuse me, nearly half of all households say that they have had a furlough or a pay cut or hours cut as a result of the coronavirus. 43% currently have trouble making rent or mortgage payments. Over one third, 35%, say they or someone in their household has already lost their job completely. Exactly one third has lost a significant amount of their savings or retirement. 29% are small business owners or self-employed who have either closed their business or had significant losses to their business, not been able to keep their self-employment or small-owned business going. And finally, 18% had to increase hours. Many of us are being asked to do more. And fully 18% of Latinos say that they've had to increase hours and take on more responsibility without extra pay. It's important to note that households with kids ages 0 to 17 at home, we found that they were the most likely to report furloughs or wage and hours cuts. And this is exactly the households that cannot afford it. What's more, across the three economic losses, when we pool those together and we ask people, did any of these happen to you? 65% of our sample said at least one of those things has happened to them, a job loss in their household, furloughs or hours cuts, or lost the business that they ran. Among people who have kids in the home, zero to 17, that's 72%.
And among Latino millennials, 18 to 29, 76% of them say at least one of those things has happened to them. You also see that there are significant portions that say two out of those three, or even some portion that say all three of those things have happened, that they've had major, substantial financial impacts. Um, many of us are now working at home, but this is coming uh, at a cost because of the coronavirus. 44% of our households have at least one person now working at home. 18% have two or more now working from home. However, 80% of these households are getting no assistance from their employer to cover any of the costs related to increased internet access, um, laptops or tablets, or other technology required to work from home. While there are some companies out there that are really leading the way in providing loaner laptops or buying technology for their employees, over 80% of Latinos are not in that boat. So while people are being uh, forced to work at home, they don't always have the proper setup in order to be efficient and to make their uh, work experience effective. This poll has revealed that Latinos are really one emergency away from financial despair. 43% said they had trouble making rent this month, as we just reviewed. 54% say they're not getting a grace period or relief from their landlord or mortgage holder. So a majority are still having to pay their rent and their mortgages due. And one third have already lost a significant portion of their retirement or savings. We asked people in this poll, how much do you currently have saved for emergencies or in a savings account? 50% of Latino households have $500 or less saved for emergencies or in a savings account. This is a community that has been for many years living paycheck to paycheck, but as long as that paycheck came, you could get to the next paycheck. Now that those paychecks are stopped, we see that this is really exposing a very significant hole in the safety net in the Latino community with very, very few families having enough savings to be able to get by to the next uh, crisis. Uh, as we look ahead, as the crisis continues, 70% of our Latino respondents told us that they're concerned that someone in their household will lose their job. 73% are concerned that they're going to lose a significant portion of their savings or retirement. And three quarters, fully 76%, say that they're worried they won't be able to pay rent, mortgage, or other basic expenses if this crisis goes on for another month. Prevention and health is the highest priority. We asked Latinos, even as they are struggling and facing financial hardship, 81% of the sample agreed with an idea that we are all in this together and we need to do whatever we can to prevent the spread of coronavirus, even if that means staying home for a few more weeks. There's only a small minority who agrees that it is already time to get back to work. So while Latinos are struggling, while they're on the front line, without the proper protective care, an overwhelming majority understands that this is an important sacrifice for the health and safety of the country. The last component that I want to review is related to education-related concerns within the Latino community. We know that Latinos have uh, a young population. Many of us have young children in the house. Schooling from home presents a unique challenge for our predominantly working class Latino community. 68% of our households have at least one student in grades K through 12 engaged in online schooling right now. Another 34% have at least one person in home taking college courses online. So we know many college students have moved back home are now in these multi-generational households. 
And 58% tell us that they're worried that their children are not learning enough and falling behind right now. Why is this happening? Well, in the Latino community, a significant uh, portion are not getting assistance with these additional technology requirements that are needed within their child's educational experience. 33% tell us that their cell phone or Wi-Fi bills are going up uh, as a result of X usage. One third of the sample, 32%, say they don't have enough computers at home for all of the children to use for online schooling. For fully of 20%, one out of five Latino households, their only access to the internet comes from their cell phone. So imagine being in a cell phone household where you're now trying to connect to online uh, meetings for your students, online uh, technology, uh, trying to do uh, homework and research in this way. An additional 17% of households say they do not have broadband internet access at all at home. And finally, only 11%, similar to the question about is your job helping prepare you? Only 11% of Latino families say that their kids' school is providing loaner equipment or Wi-Fi access to help them through this crisis. Um, parents are having a difficult time helping their children. 58% say that online schooling has made it difficult to communicate with teachers right now and stay involved. 49% say that they're not able to help their child because they're not familiar with the class subjects and assignments. We know that many in our community uh, came here to create a better life and opportunity for their children and perhaps not have high school degrees when they got here. They're now being asked to not only connect their kids to the internet, but to help and serve as their child's teacher. And fully half of the sample says that is creating difficulty. And another third, 35%, say that these technological difficulties, problems connecting or websites not working, is making it very hard for them to interact with their school. So these trickle-down effects are really not only impacting Latino parents, Latino adults, and Latino workers, but we know that they're impacting our future, our children who are in the household as well. Um, I'm gonna turn it over to my um, co-founder and partner, Gary Segura, uh, for some takeaways on what this poll means and putting it in perspective. Gary, go ahead. Thank you, everyone, uh, for being here, and thank you, Matt. Um, I begin with a, a sort of rueful recognition that COVID-19 turns out to be an extremely effective diagnostic tool in helping us identify and really explore the impact of the inequities that existed in American society prior to the start of the current crisis. And it's with no small amount of irony that those portions of our population who were for the last 10 years vilified and and demonized as expendable and not part of the American fabric are now essential in the food delivery uh, network that is keeping the United States alive and functioning in this time of crisis. We, uh, so we developed a set of poll findings that are very, very sobering in a variety of ways. Uh, from the extreme exposure of our population with 36% of our population working outside the home, um, many of them afraid, to the numbers of individuals who can't get access to testing even while demonstrating symptoms. Something our poll did not focus on, but what's come into a much clearer um, uh, uh, focus in the last couple of days is the role of uh, institutional care facilities as locuses of exchange of uh, or, or contagion of the virus. Many of those institutional care facilities for the elderly, the cognitively compromised, and the disabled are staffed principally by Latino, 
those uh, workers are in tremendous peril for their safety, and the residents themselves are essentially uh, ripe to become viral cannon fodder. These are the most um, vulnerable people in our society. The economic catastrophe should never be understated, and it's important uh, to note that it is likely to be very enduring. Much like the 2008-2009 Great Recession, the, uh, where two-thirds of all Latino net wealth disappeared in the United States in a single year, uh, largely through the foreclosure crisis, this is going to have a lasting impact on the economic well-being of Latinos nationwide. There will, in fact, be another foreclosure crisis. There will be loss of mortgages. There will be Latinos who are driven out of their rental housing because they can't afford to pay uh, back rent, even when eviction um, uh, moratoria have been in place. Those moratoria will eventually expire, and the background will come due. Homeschooling, as Matt pointed out, is not an equal opportunity alternative for Americans of all uh, sorts. Uh, in order to be effective at re-platforming schools at home, the household must have broadband access and a functioning computer for every person who needs to work or attend school from home. With a, with a population where 37% uh, don't have uh, access to the internet apart from their phone, um, it is difficult to imagine what share of those have a home computer to help their child, let alone two or three for families of multiple children. As of the beginning of spring break last week, only one-third of all LA Unified School District students had signed in for any remote class. And in a year when uh, Latinos were the largest single group matriculating into uh, post-secondary education in California, the first time ever, uh, now all of those schools are closed or re-platformed. So it's important to think about the coronavirus not just as a crisis today, but it's something that will have enduring, lasting, and painful legacy among Latinos, both in the economic and educational sphere, and to say nothing of the health. Um, with that, I'll stop and turn it back over to Henry Munoz, who will introduce our remaining speakers. Thank you, Matt and Gary, I appreciate it. We, we wanted to provide this poll to begin the conversation around the country about the dire and long-lasting impact that this will have both on the country and on the fastest growing and youngest population in the United States of America. Behind every number is a, is a face of a person, right? And there's three people that we've asked to comment to begin the conversation that are on this call. The first is Ramon Tayaj. One of the things that this poll has validated is that the essential workers, the most essential workers and the most critical voices for people to hear from are the doctors and the nurses who are treating people all over this country. So I'm very proud to introduce you today to my um, partner and the chairman of Somos, Dr. Ramon Tayash. If you allow me, I will start in English and then we will go back to Spanish. Uh, well, you know, we are different. We are immigrant doctors treating immigrants in all our neighborhoods, close to a million patients. And based on the world within the phone line, we already knew the Latinos were getting sick and dying at the higher rate. How do we do that? Right at the beginning of March, end of February, we installed telemedicine to all of our doctors. We get a 1-800 number. We start doing education. A million pamphlets went out. Then telemedicine uh, to all of our doctors. We find out right from the beginning, for example, that in Queens, so many people were having symptoms. We decided to go right there, 
satisfied ourselves. We started a, how you call it, a testing site. We knew it was very important to figure out what was going on. And we started doing testing to our people, including some pre-responders, some hospital employees. We find out 70% of the people were going positive, going back to those buildings. That's when we said the first failure, isolation. Nobody, they were too busy going from diagnostic to ventilators, they all messed up with isolation. They, who suffered the most? The Latinos. And the African American too, but the Latinos. Why? Because each building in our community where we live is a small apartment. Sometimes one bedroom, two bedrooms, one apartment with seven people, with one bedroom and one bathroom. And somebody became positive. And they if they got a chance to get a test because by far they were more tested inside in other places than our community. We were the only one testing the city at that time. And saying the four more important boards where the Latinos are. And with this finding, and now we have this apartment, we're telling the people to stay apart six feet away. One was out of the window, one was out of the door. Therefore, impossible. Plus, the kids were there. The most important vectors of the disease are the kids. They don't have the disease. That's, it. That's why most of our people who die have been primary care pediatricians and still some of them intubated. At that time, we told the authorities, you must find isolation. Didn't happen. Therefore, this is why every building in our community is a nursing home place. If a building has 50 apartments, mostly close to 80 elderly living there. Those are the ones who have been accounted for, who are pulling out uh, by the EMS dead. Now, this poll is revealing even worse. These people with $100, $500, how do they eat now? We have to start helping, and we start feeding them. Now, there's no isolation, failure, there's no food. These some, how you could compromise with some other corporations like Mark Anthony and the, the, the world uh, feeding, and we start doing that. But then, we find out that a lot of people in there lost their insurance. They cannot buy Corona. We installed the same 833 number, got five decisions in different language, to start talking to those people who lost insurance to bring the doctors. One more lady, our doctors were dying or were too sick. We used the same center from call to use that. All these disparities that happen inside our building, it gave us the, the reason why to start this, this uh, environmental checking for everything that happened and this poll, which is clearly referring right now, today, today. There's not the same criteria for admitting a patient in a local hospital where we live than the one criteria for the same patient with the same criteria in other places where they have good insurance. It's not the same criteria. That's why people are dying in the building because when you have 90% oxygen and you say go back home, when in other places they take it with 92, you know it's a catastrophic event because we only have Medicaid if we have it at this point. Then, for me, it's very difficult when he got this information. That's why I told him he had a good mask, figure out what's going on. It doesn't matter. This is going to continue, and people have to know what the reality is happening in our community. Worse than that, we allow the first one doing testing in the whole country, free, 70,000 for IgM and the G test. The large study that's going to be in the world is going to be ours. 
the, the community, the brown people. And we're doing free for our people. We didn't wait for the governmental, any governmental to help us because we knew that because this what happened in isolation, it shouldn't happen now with testing. To try to help people out of those buildings where are so afraid and so difficult to come out because they don't know what's going on. They were trying not to do this test. If they become IgG positive, they have no symptoms, we let them go back to work. And even that's been difficult. And let me make a comment in that direction. When I saw recently the person close to the president who's doing this saying that he wants to do a sport isolation to put the people apart in hotels and they will be, they will be, how do you call that, testing every four days. I say, wait a minute, are you talking now isolating the sports center people when you mess up with the poor community, the Hispanic, who are the ones helping in the day to day in the country? And they were not allowed to have places where to go, in the schools, in jeans. Instead of looking for ventilators, you can look for this test for these people. Inside those places, they're all positive. We even gather, this is why so many Latinos and African Americans are dying. Si quisiera decir que nosotros somos diferentes, somos médicos inmigrantes atendiendo a inmigrantes. Y desde el principio, por el trabajo que hicimos con el doctor de medicina, educando a nuestros pacientes y la línea, la línea 1833 somos en Y nos dimos cuenta de los grandes problemas que estaban pasando en nuestro barrio y sobre todo primeramente en Queens e inmediatamente pusimos un centro de diagnóstico cubierto todo por nosotros 3.2 millones los médicos pusimos para empezar a trabajar a todos los niveles compramos todos los kits que hacían falta para empezar a trabajar pusimos también dinero en comprar las máscaras, la N95, los trajes, todo, donde quiera que podíamos conseguirlo. ¿Qué encontramos inmediatamente? Que en verdad, 70% de la gente estaba positiva. Y obviamente volvían para esos apartamentos. Y volvían a esos apartamentos, no los aviones para destruir los edificios, millones de un virus monstruoso, invisible, a llevárselo a los demás. Realmente me siento que actúe como un terrorista, mandando a esa gente para atrás, no peleando mucho más para que las autoridades pusieran esos centros de aislamiento. En la historia ya se sabe, la cantidad de muertos ya se sabe. Encima de todo eso, cuando empezamos a hacer el testing con las autoridades, no tenemos acceso a los datos, se nos cortó el acceso a los datos, y se, y se estaban chequeando, por ejemplo, en el front, más gente de otros barrios, no del Bronx, que nuestra gente apenas nos dieron 25 a 50 y no podíamos ver los resultados. Teníamos que ir por detrás, llamando a los médicos para que llamaran a sus pacientes para ver los resultados. Encima de todo eso, solamente el 40% del 100% que estuvo positivo encontraron medicina, porque no había medicina. Estábamos dando la, hidro, la hidroxicloroquina y el citromax. Y además, eh, eh, esa es la, la, la historia real por esto, este poll eh, que se ha hecho, está revelando estas dificultades, esta desigualdad tremenda, no solamente desigualdad que ya existía, que lo sabemos, como que el 70% de la gente en el Bronx habla en español, y solamente el 10% de, de los que trabajan allí en el sector salud hablan, y que, por ejemplo, no hay un ortopedista hispano en el Bronx que esté en la calle trabajando con nosotros. 
y nunca nos van a aceptar que podamos entrar a esa carrera. Es una disparidad que tiene que parar. Y yo creo que este grupo es el que tiene que empezar a dar la voz de alarma, que basta ya. Eh, tenemos nosotros que ser la voz cantante para que estas cosas no sigan pasando. Y peor que esto, peor que esto. No sé si ustedes lo saben, pero cuando yo dije en inglés que los criterios para admitir un paciente varían de sitio en sitio y que para mi entender tiene más que ver con qué tipo de seguro ese paciente presentó o no tenía es una cosa increíble pero cierta por eso nosotros en los centros diagnósticos desde el principio Henry dijo yo no quiero un policía ahí al frente con una sirena intimidando a la gente que no pueda venir porque no tienen papeles y solamente hacía falta presentar un documento cualquiera, un papel con el nombre y le podíamos hacer el, el test eh, cuando empezamos muchas gracias I woke up this morning as a small business leader to the news that the SBA had ran out of uh, the funds in order to help people and realized that Congressman Castro was in a unique position as the chairman of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus to speak truth to the other leaders in our country about this wide variety of need long-lasting that uh, is identified by this poll. So I want to uh, introduce to you my congressman, Congressman Joaquin Castro, the chairman of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Well, thank you, Henry and uh, Dr. Ramon, and of course, uh, Latino Decisions, Matt and Gary, for your incredible work in profiling this moment for the Latino community, a uh, community that is often in many American polls, shortchanged and sometimes ignored. Uh, so thank you for this incredible work. And the poll, well, this moment has exposed many things about American society, including the essential role that Latino workers play in powering our nation's economy and success. And yet this is a community, it's clear, but this poll makes even clearer that is incredibly underserved. And when it comes to what Congress should do, the role that we have to play, we have to do much more for the Latino community and for all Americans. We need more aggressive testing in the most vulnerable communities, including Latino communities, where people may not readily avail themselves of the testing process, where people are fearful of going and getting tested, some of them because of their status, and the idea that ICE, for example, may deport them, where people, as I have heard in my own district, are fearful of the enormous hospital bill that they may get if they are actually infected and have to get treatment. So the Congress and the state have to improve their efforts at funding testing and treatment for the Latino community. Delays have been deadly, and the numbers are making that clear. It's not only a public health emergency for the Latino community, but it's also a financial emergency. Uh, I think Gary gave some context to this. In 2008, after the recession in 2008-2009, it's estimated that the Latino community lost two-thirds of its wealth. And that's because for many Latino families, their entire wealth is tied up in their homes. And fundamentally, besides the stock market, of pounding that happened back then. The financial crisis of that time was mostly about people losing their homes. 
And so Latinos paid an incredibly big price. That was a dozen years ago. And you see a community that was starting to get back on its feet and now has been leveled by this. And it's clear that Congress has to do more financially for Americans, including the Latino community. A $1,200, a $1,200 payment is not enough either right now or as we think about what's going to happen two, three, six months from now when you essentially have balloon payments that come due for mortgages, energy bills, water bills, car bills, etc. The Congress has to step up and do more for a community that has not quite gotten over what happened a dozen years ago. And the impact has been incredible. We have been fighting in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus for the Congress to use, for example, individual tax identification numbers to distribute financial assistance to workers in the United States. And that's because you have some Latinos, some of whom may be permanent residents or undocumented, many of whom are still out there like farm workers in the field, working hard to put groceries in American grocery stores. They're working, but their families aren't getting any relief from the Congress. No financial assistance. Some of them are out of work, even though they work for years. They're not getting any financial assistance. Families of mixed status, where you have a, joint, a couple that filed jointly, uh, but one of them may be undocumented. Those families, many of them are receiving nothing. Or you have a single parent who's undocumented but has two U.S. citizen children. Those families are receiving nothing. So Congress should step up and do the right thing and acknowledge that folks that have been using ITIN numbers contribute annually about $14 billion a year to the federal treasury. That's how much taxes they pay every year. And they deserve relief as well. In terms of small businesses, for a few small businesses, You've got, we estimate that between a third and 50% that don't have a permanent and consistent relationship with either the SBA or a lender. So what that has meant is that they, are, they haven't been the first ones to get over to a, a lending institution or to the SBA to apply for the loans from the PDP program, for example. And now that fund has run dry. So in the next package that's put together, we need to make sure and pay special attention, and you saw the speaker and also Minority Leader Schumer bring this point up with Mitch McConnell in the White House. You have to make sure that everybody is having access. That includes a large segment of the Latino small business community, that everybody gets access to those funds. What we can't do is simply pass laws and legislation that replicate the inequities of the past. Because if we do that, all we're going to do is harden those inequities going forward. And so I hope that that we don't have many people sliding back down towards deep poverty, which is certainly possible when you see the results of this poll. Government, state governments, the federal government have, have to step in and be aggressive, both on the healthcare front and on the economic front, uh, to make sure that out of a bad situation, we have the best future outcomes possible. So thank you guys for your work on this. I'll turn it back to Henry. Thank you, Congressman. 
I get to introduce one of my heroes, who is the person who has perhaps the broadest perspective of all of the issues covered by this poll because of the organization that she leads and her work at Unidos US, Janet Mergia. Thank you, Henry. I'm so grateful to you and uh, to Dr. Ramon Zayaj for your leadership and for working through SOMOS to uh, put a spotlight on an incredibly important issue at such an important time. And um, this information that we're seeing um, presented with your support by Latino Decision is gonna be incredibly helpful and instrumental in making sure we tell the story that needs to be told right now. And that is, we need to make sure we're including everyone, including the Latino community, uh, as we uh, face this crisis. As the largest uh, national uh, Hispanic civil rights and advocacy organization in the country, Unidos U.S has been working um, with a number of partners and are at the forefront of responding to the COVID-19 crisis and its disproportionate impact on the Latino community. We have nearly 300 uh, affiliates uh, in our network, community-based organizations that provide an array of services to millions of Latinos and others every single day. And among them are over 20 federally qualified health centers. These organizations are in the hotspots and on the front lines of those helping the Latino community cope with the crisis and often without uh, adequate funding and resources, especially given the need and the demand today. So we have been in constant touch with these organizations since the beginning of this crisis. And we have surveyed and connected with over 200 of our affiliates in the last month. And I just want to reaffirm that what we have heard from them is very similar to and confirmed by the findings of the Latino Decisions Poll. On the health front, the poll shows that Latinos are deeply concerned and worried about the health impact on themselves and their families. And this is, of course, understandable as so many in our community are unable to work at home and have been deemed essential workers, putting them at risk uh, for the contracting of the virus. And, and many, as the poll also notes, feel unsafe at work due to the lack of personal protective equipment. Um, many have lack access to health care and have been unable to get tested or proper treatment. All of this reaffirms what we have seen now supported by data in this poll. And that is also why we and our affiliates have called for more disaggregated data from states and the federal government to better gauge the extent of COVID-19 impact on our community and also for making more bilingual and culturally competent information and resources available to those who need it. Dr. Tayaj mentioned that we have disproportionately seen in the Northeast and in particular the New York area where many folks have uh, the ability uh, to come into some of these clinics because of the support of SOMOS and don't have to worry about being asked about status and no Spanish will be spoken there. We need more of those supports. 
we are also deeply concerned about the economic fallout from the crisis. You heard Congressman uh, Joaquin Castro so articulately lay out what uh, we've seen revealed in this poll. The polls finding that 65% of Latino households have felt a negative impact from the shutdown by either losing a job, wages, or a small business. This is sobering and a confirmation of the economic devastation that is playing out in, uh, in our community. So while the massive third stimulus uh, bill that Congress passed last month provided some assistance, we agree with Congressman Joaquin Castro. It's not nearly enough. Uh, so we at Unidos U.S., are advocating in Congress and working uh, with our champions, including the Congressional Hispanic Caucus and Congressman Castro, among others, to intentionally include more targeted assistance to the Latino community in the next stimulus and relief legislation. You know, we need to allow people to keep a roof over their heads during the pandemic. And that can happen by freezing evictions and halting foreclosures for at least the next six months. And we also need to ensure that these mixed status families, families that are a combination of citizen children and a citizen spouse uh, or parent, that they're also eligible for health programs and health insurance. This is for everyone's benefit, as the virus, we know, doesn't discriminate and does not care about immigration status. And the crisis won't be over for anyone until it's over for everyone. Again, I want to add um, my thanks to um, Tomos and their investment in communities that we know are vulnerable, representing our Latino uh, communities, but also for investing in this uh, poll to help us make the case for these investments as we move forward. Thank you, Henry, and thank you, Dr. Tayash. Thank you, Janet. I think we have a few minutes for questions. Uh, operator, if you'd like to start that segment. Henry. And submit your question via the question box on the left-hand side of your screen. Um, hi, everyone. It looks like we have a few questions about this, but um, it would be great if um, y'all could talk a little bit more um, about the detail on how the sample was selected and executed and um, the balance on the sample across online versus the cell. Yeah, thanks, uh, Julia. This is Matt Baretico from Latino Decisions. Um, overall, we had 1,200 respondents nationwide. That included a small oversample in the New York, New Jersey area, and in the Florida area. That allowed us to present state-level results, which you can find on our website for New York, Florida, California, and Texas, as well as an overall national result. The overall data are weighted to reflect a representative national sample of Latinos. They're balanced on age, educational attainment, immigrant status, uh, and geography. Uh, and as I said at the outset, 41% of our interviews were in Spanish, reflecting the diversity in our community. Um, it was conducted in cell phone, landline, and online. A majority of the responses came from an online um, self-administered response. 
but we did have a significant portion that were done from live callers on the telephone, and that was to make sure that everyone had a chance to participate in the survey regardless of their preferred mode of connectivity. This is consistent with the other surveys that we've been doing recently, national surveys with uh, Univision and other uh, large uh, outlets and, and reflects the current state of polling. Great. Um, Adriana Diaz from CBS News has a question. Were there any observations in the polling that there was insufficient COVID messaging in Spanish or Spanish language media filling the gap? Um, we did ask, this is Matt, we did ask um, one question about that, uh, two questions about that. Uh, and we found, um, first of all, that Latinos had higher confidence in Spanish language uh, journalists and reporting when it came to facts and information. That's consistent with decades of research that we've been doing that Latinos have very high trust and confidence in Spanish language news, journalism, both TV and print. We found that that was the case. Um, but we did find that um, Latinos would like to see more uh, information available and more testing available uh, in Spanish. Uh, really, the um, center and community care center that um, Dr. Ramon and Henry are running, SOMOS, is one of the few in the country that is doing full bilingual, if not Spanish-dominant services. Um, I don't know, Henry or Ramon, if you wanted to add something to that. It is certainly critical to be communicating with our community in Spanish at this particular point in time. Well, and it's not just Spanish, but we're also running testing sites that are trilingual. We're also speaking to the Chinese and Asian American community. So I would say that across the board, in terms of the minority population of the United States, there still isn't enough uh, 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 messaging in their languages. It is exacerbating the accessibility issue to healthcare. Um, this works its way down to the different neighborhoods that we, uh, our doctors, are working in. There's also a lot of misinformation that is out there. There are people who are, we had one person die who um, didn't seek treatment because they had read on Facebook that if they went to a hospital as a person who was undocumented, that um, that they would be fined thousands of dollars. And so they were a caretaker in an apartment building and they passed in the apartment of the people that they were taking care of. So I think that across the board, there's still a great need for Spanish language, for Chinese, for uh, messaging that is targeted at the minority community. And quite honestly, in their language and quite honestly, that it's important for them to see people who look like them on television. We're not doing that well enough either. And so uh, the most trusted voices, according to this poll, are the doctors and the nurses who are putting their lives at risk to save lives. I would just add, this is Janet with the Native US, I would just add that what we heard from our affiliates in their initial report out of what was happening on the ground was first and foremost that not enough information was getting out to the community in Spanish. 
it's what prompted us to immediately make sure that we have on our website at rebirthus.org that we would have uh, updated information about the COVID-19 virus in English, but also in Spanish. We generally have tried to do that anyway, but we have made a specific effort. So we're not the only ones. There are other trusted websites, but as Henry mentioned, trusted partners folks who have credibility, whether it's uh, been in communities with Latino physicians and public health professionals, or like uh, our affiliate network of community-based organizations and health clinics that where people know they can get in without worrying about being asked about their status or knowing that there'll be culturally competent services and certainly language organizations, but I know that 
uh, Congressman Joaquin Castro, chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, will be uh, at the tip of the spear as we look to make that case to Congress and work with our allies in the Senate as well. We've seen already incredible leadership by Senator Menendez and Catherine Cortez Masto. Uh, so we're going to be working with many, many folks to make the case and make sure that we can get uh, the investments back in the community. But we hope that people won't make this political. The immigration issue is really a side issue. This is about making sure we can address a health pandemic and rebuild our economy. This is uh, shouldn't be bogged down with the politics of immigration. But I do think that it is important. One of the purposes of this poll is not to just speak to the Latino community of the United States, but to the United States. And for people to understand that the people that are currently making sure that they have groceries, making sure that their food is delivered, the healthcare workers, the nurses and the doctors, you know, in many cases, those people are immigrants. You know, the, the doctors of Somos and the nurses of Somos are the immigrant doctors who kept the New York Stock Exchange open for weeks until they could figure out how to um, take it completely digital. So I'm hoping that one of the, as the country grapples with this crisis, that it understands that it really is, that there is an honor and a patriotism on the part of all immigrants has always been, and that it's important for the country to see this population as people who are deserving of respect and of help, and that it is in the best interests of the country, right, the best interests of the country to make sure that the fastest growing and youngest population feel secure and respected. And if comprehensive immigration reform is a part of that, well then yes, we need to use our voices to, to continue to seek that. Do we have time for one more? Do we have one more question? Yes, we do. Um, this one is for, sorry, I think Dr. Kouage. Uh, could you please talk more about the social distancing and difficulties um, with that in urban environments? Well, it's easy. Um, let's put it in perspective. From the beginning, we tell our people, stay home, six foot apart, and there's no way to do that in many buildings. We leave several more people on the regular other poles. We got six, five, seven, in one bedroom apartment. When somebody got sick, by the time that they know, the other ones are already infected. And there was no isolation. I get back to that. Therefore, besides that, we have multi-generational. We have our great, our grandfathers, our kids in the same place that we are. We take, therefore, each building in our community is a nursing home. But at this point, it doesn't matter because we mess up. But one more thing, we even create in some of a way how to behave inside, knowing that how to, where to put the personal thing. My daughter lives in a nice two-bedroom apartment. The husband got sick, the kid developed croup, and she developed a disease taking care of the kid. She was 18 days in the hospital. She almost died. She was 15 liters. Oxygen 
And finally, two days ago, she came out of the hospital. And she was living in a nice place. She had a luxury to have two bedrooms for five people. When you have nine, ten people in one bedroom apartment, seven people, how do you lose six people apart, each one? That's the insensitivity that sometimes good uh, higher scholars from Harvard or whatever you call it, they haven't seen one Medicaid patient they have inside one of those buildings where we are. And we know exactly what happened there. This is why we moved so fast, because we knew. And at this point, they don't have money to clean. And if they have some to clean, they bought in very expensive price right? because the rich people already bought. Just to buy one license, $100 today. There's no way for them to buy one of those. We distribute soap, we distribute alcohol, bleach today, and we distribute food today. We know they don't have anything. That's the thing, the thing that you see now today. Look, um, we're hoping that this poll is the beginning of a lot of questioning and and hopefully answers and and action on the part of um, our government and a raising of the voices of the thought leaders and the community-based organizations and the artists who can bring attention so that um, our people are motivated do take the future into their own hands. So uh, I know there's other questions. I promise that we all will respond to those questions. We'll get back to the question. I wanted, I, I know we've done this for about an hour. I, I do want to say thank you to Representative Castro, who was uh, jumping off the phone to respond to what Governor Abbott was about to say on television. I do want to say thank you to Janet for all of her work over uh, many years and for her advice and for her guidance to uh, communities across this country about the national impact of this crisis on cities across um, this country, none of which is becoming less Latino. I want to say thank you to Matt and to, and to Gary for undertaking this project on such a critical timeline and for doing um, what I think needed to be done, which was to, 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 to tell the story of the impact on this community. And I know that we're going to come back over the course of the coming weeks and continue to flesh out uh, this data and this information. And of course, I want to say thank you to Ramon for uh, the team, for his passion, uh, for the team of heroes that he's put together for um, always making sure um, that the people who are invisible um, in this country become more visible. So thanks to all of you for joining this call. We'll get back and we'll answer these questions. Yes, sir. And before you go, and I want to make a comment. Mm -hmm. And in the 1960s, 59,000 Americans lost their lives in several years of war. Here, we were not losing New York at the end of this close to 20,000 in just five weeks or six weeks. And most of them is our people. Um, so with that, we'll end this call. Ask your questions. We promise that we'll make this information available to you. We hope it is the foundation of many questions um, to come. Thank you. Thank you. This will conclude today's program. Thank you again for your participation. And we may now disconnect. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned every Tuesday for new episodes of Hispanic Marketing 101.